0: Hello, Baseline. It's uh, great to have you joining us here once again. And, um, you know, the last couple of weeks we've taken a bit of a detour from our sermon series and we've kind of leaned into these really important, the really important subject of kind of the racial unrest and racial reconciliation that our country was going through and it was it was crucial for us to do this and we've we've actually never talked about this as a church and so i'm so grateful and thankful that that all of you that we as a body have kind of leaned into this and um we're not done. I know I'm not done. I know I have a lot more of listening that I need to do, a lot more learning that needs to happen in order to have greater understanding. Um, and so uh, there are resources on our website that you can look up and continue to learn from. Uh, there's uh, going to be a, um, a study, this, a summer study that is going to happen uh, around this whole area of racial reconciliation for anybody that would like to Join in and be a part of that, but I just encourage you to to continue to be a person who has the posture of one who's learning, and um, and let's continue to do that as a church too. Um, we're not we're not finished. I don't I know that God is not finished with us yet. I know God still wants to do stuff in my own heart, and I believe in the heart of our church too. Um, but we will be kind of jumping back into our sermon series of of kind of looking at the early church and, and seeing how that intersects with where we are today and just these, these kind of wild, wild days that we are, are living in. And um, to do that, we're going to uh, go back to Acts chapter 6. And it's, uh, it's a story, actually, that Ken Zell used a couple weeks ago when he was talking about kind of the racial divide that can happen in churches. But it's a, it's a really important passage about how the church is supposed to work together about how people are supposed to use their gifts and their abilities and just to come alongside and everybody work together as a body of Christ. And, I mean, as I've, as I've studied it this week, I'm really convinced that this is a really important important thing for us as a church to understand. So I hope that you'll, um, hope you'll be blessed as we look into God's Word. So here's how it goes. It's um, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. It goes this way. Uh, now at this time while the disciples were increasing in number a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food so the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said it's not desirable for us to be for us to neglect the word of god in order to serve tables therefore brethren select from among you 7 men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who may be put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word." And I think this is a really crucial point for the early church. Um, we, if we're following in the book of Acts, they've just started to experience some persecution from the outside, from the Jews and, and others. And now you've got this internal conflict that's come up. The, um, the Greek-speaking Jews feel like their widows are being overlooked by the Hebrew Jews in terms of the giving of food. And, and this, this conflict has the potential of actually splitting the church if we're not careful. And so it's a really, really important point in the history of the early church where, where the disciples are looking at this now. And, um, and I believe that we as a church today are at a crucial point. I mean, I believe it's not only because of the COVID-19 stuff that we've been facing in the three months of being kind of socially distant from one another and that the face of church has changed because of that. And it's not only is this a crucial time because of the kind of the racial unrest and division that's bubbled up and exploded onto the scene because of these decades of neglect over time. But but this is a crucial time for the church, and I would say a crucial time for our church baseline, because I believe, and we see this, that the broader community is not drawn to the message of Christianity that the church is preaching today. The broader community is hearing us talk about a church and talking about Christianity and Christ in a way that it's about um, justice and and, um, it's about caring for people. It's about creating really authentic relationships with one another. It's it's about experiencing life change and transformation. And the broader community looks at us and says, you're preaching something that I don't see actually happening. I mean, we are honestly at a crucial point in our history, in the church, I believe. And and the church is in danger, I believe, of becoming um, irrelevant to the broader community around us. And what's so sad about this is that that broader community so needs to know Jesus, so needs to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior as a teacher and as a friend, as someone who can honestly walk with them through life. And yet the community is kind of looking at the church and saying, I don't see the power there. I don't see the authenticity there of what you're talking about. And it, um, as I thought about it this week and, and was thinking this through and working this through, an illustration came to mind and it's an illustration that happened to me about 12 years ago. Uh, some of you might remember this actually um, happening, but um, about 12 years ago or so, our church had a uh, church basketball team, and we played in a church league here uh, locally, and, and I was on the team. And uh, it took me a while, honestly, to get into game shape, I'll, I'll admit that, but um, after a while, I, s- I started playing all right. And uh, we were in the middle of, of a game, a pretty intense game, back and forth game, and I'm, I'm playing about as best I had played in quite a while. And uh, all of a sudden, one of the guys is dribbling down court and uh, someone from our team tips the ball away from him. I grab it and I uh, dribble, start dribbling up court to move the ball up ahead. And then <laughs> some player on their team kicks the back of my leg and I fall down. And I'm on the ground, and I'm looking around for the player who kicked me. And I go, well, who kicked me? And they said, Don, no one was even close to you. No one no one kicked you. And I'm like, well, I, how, how'd I end up on the ground? And I can't actually get up off the ground. And what had happened was I had torn my Achilles tendon. Okay, I, I found out that it is actually the um, injury of choice among over 40-year-old basketball players, that it happens all the time to guys like me trying to play basketball when you're over 40. And sure enough, i tore torn my Achilles tendon. So I went to the doctor, uh, had surgery on my Achilles tendon, and I was in a cast, a full-length cast, for eight weeks. And uh, some of you might remember how I would hobble along. I'd hobble up to give sermon every once in a while, things like that. But um, after eight weeks, they took the cast off of my leg, and my leg had basically shriveled up to just a tiny, what it was before. And and what had happened, it is is that I had experienced um, atrophy. My muscles had constricted. my, My calf muscles were basically non-existent. My quad was so weak, I could not barely could barely walk on it and and here's what atrophy is muscle atrophy is the thinning or loss of muscle tissue and and there's and there's various causes to this but the main cause is not using the muscles enough and and so what how I tie this into what's happening to the early church and where I believe we are today is this um, I wonder if we as followers of Christ, and even the church as a whole, if we are not actually using, I'm not sure what to call these, but are we not using our church muscles enough? Are we not using our spiritual muscles enough? Are we not using our service muscles enough? And we as the church are atrophying from who we really need to be. And this can happen when we start to look at church as something that I just kind of go to once a week or it's something that I go to and I am inspired by what you say and I can listen and then go home. And, and when we aren't actually practicing or exercising the muscles that God wants to use and wants us to use, that those muscles actually begin to shrink and I wonder if the church is at a place where that's who we can become. And um, the way to make it through these crucial days, I believe, is to expand our understanding of what the church really is. To expand our understanding that again, the churches, we've said this a lot, it's not a building, it isn't a service, as great as the property we have and the land and all that, it's wonderful, but that's not ultimately what the church is. That the church is the gathering together of God's people for a common purpose. That is ultimately what the church is. And you see, that's what the early church founders, the apostles, realized. When they were faced with this uh, struggle between the Hebrew Jews and the Greek Jews, they realized that, um, that the turmoil that's happening there is something that they, don't, they cannot solve on their own, right? So they said, hey, let's find some other people who can put energy and effort into this critical and crucial point. You know, uh, D.L. Moody, who founded the Moody Bible Institute and all that, said that it's, um, it's better to put 10 men to work than to try and do the work of 10 men. To have 10 people doing the work as opposed to one person trying to do the work of 10. And quite honestly, sometimes pastors feel like they have to try and do it all on their own. It, it's, it's called the savior complex. We kind of feel like we're the only ones that can do it. And yet the early church, they realize, you know what? Hey, we can't do this. We're we, we going to spend our time preaching. We're going to spend our time teaching. We're going to spend our time in prayer and we're going to find some other people who can do this well. And they said, find people that have a good reputation, find people that are full of the Spirit, and find people that are wise. And that's what they did. And so if we continue in, in Acts chapter 6, here's what it says. It says, uh, the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procorius, Nicanor. Timon, Parmaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. So the apostles say, hey, find some people, some men from your group that will lead this. And they find seven men. And, and here's the brilliance behind this, okay? All seven are Greek. The, the Greek Jews were the ones that were complaining And so they said, okay, well, let's find some people to handle this problem. And they found seven Greeks to be the ones that would do this. It's a beautiful picture of embracing diversity and allowing leadership to be shared among other people. And these seven then, and here's the other people, the seven then are spiritually commissioned for the work that they've been called to do. They've been called to make sure that the widows all get an equal amount of food and that everybody is cared for. And here's the thing sometimes we can think that that some type of work is less important than other type of work. That, you know, the work that the apostles were doing, the preaching and teaching, and well, that's really spiritual work and really important. But you know what, caring for these widows and making sure the food's, well, that's not that. No, I love the fact that they prayed for these seven and they laid hands on them and commissioned them for the important work that they were called to do. You see, uh, the Apostle Paul, later on, he'll write about the church and he'll call the church the body of Christ. And he'll say that the body's made up of different members and that every single member of the body is crucial, especially the ones that people don't really see oftentimes. And that is so true when we see how the apostles handle this conflict. They raise up these people and they pray for them and they commission them to do the work that they're doing. You see, the work that these seven that have been chosen is just as important for the church, is just as important for the kingdom of God than what the apostles are doing. It will take all of them working together to solve this conflict. And and we see it happens in the next line, verse seven. It says, the word of God kept on spreading and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. You see, the the implication by the wording there is that because of all that's happening, because of the work that the apostles are doing, because of the preaching that's happening, because of the prayer that's going on, because of the work of these seven in terms of caring for the widows and, and, uh, and helping to deal with this conflict, because of all that that is going on, the word of God is spreading more people are becoming disciples. And those who were some of the greatest opponents of Christ, the priests, are coming to faith. That That is what the church has to be about. The church ultimately is about people coming to know Christ and growing as disciples. And it happens when everybody does their part where everybody plays the role that God has given them, where everybody uses the gifting and the, and the character and who they are to be a part of this body of Christ and to make sure that it happens. And it happened because these seven said, yes, I'll do that. I'll be a part of this ministry. And the word of God spreads. So just a, a little side note maybe here, a little bit too, is we uh, we don't know much about all seven of these men, but two of them are followed in the next two chapters of Acts, uh, Stephen and Philip. Uh, Stephen is uh, quickly uh, preaching the gospel, and the uh, Jewish leaders don't like it. They uh, bring him in to the Sanhedrin. They make him stand before the high priest, um, and he then <laughs> tells... A most beautiful, beautiful speech, sermon about who God is and his work through history and coming to the point of bringing Christ to the cross. And at that point, the Jewish leaders are so furious, they grab him, they take him outside the city gates, and they stone him to death. And as he is dying, he looks at his, um, the ones that are stoning him, and he says, Lord, forgive them for the sin that they're now doing. Show forgiveness to these people. And then a really little line right after this is uh, off to the side, a man named Saul is watching this happen. He's watching this man be dragged out. He's watching him be stoned, probably encouraging it. But then he hears, Lord, forgive him for this sin. Later on, this man, Saul, will meet Jesus for himself. And you have to wonder, was what Stephen did something that was in Saul's soul that put him to a place where he was really ready to accept Jesus? The second man is Philip. Because of the persecution that happens to the church, because of what happens to Stephen, Philip then leaves. Jerusalem and goes to a Samaritan city where he preaches the gospel and he does miraculous signs and there's great joy in this city (laughs) lots and lots of people are coming to know Christ and then he is taken to this kind of wilderness area and he meets a man from Ethiopia and he leads that man to Christ and then he's he goes to um, he's taken to Caesarea and he lives a long life in Caesarea where he is known as Philip the Evangelist. And just what gets me thinking about this, and and hopefully it will touch you too, is this, that that those seven were asked to do something, were asked to do a work that may not have seemed all that important, but they said yes. And, And that first step of saying yes, at least in Stephen's life and in Philip's life, was the first step for making an incredible impact for the kingdom of God at that point and for the kingdom of God throughout all history because of what they did. They said yes. They said yes, I'll be a part of this. The first step. So here's how we tie this all together, hopefully for us. The church is a body. Each of us has a role to play. Each of us has been made by God and put together in such a way that that we can do certain things that will help the body of Christ grow, that will help the body of Christ flourish. And um, these three months of COVID have, have again, taught us that that church will be different coming out of this season. Um, I mean, we will need lots of people to continue to connect through relationally online and and for those that will be in homes and all that, we, we need to do that. We'll need lots of people who will um, start online Bible studies and will start to uh, prayer groups online. We're going we're gonna to need people who can help us to do all that's needed to open up the campus so that we can um, keep, it, keep people safe and, and then also create an atmosphere where people are drawn spiritually to Jesus. And this is a crucial moment for the church. I truly believe that. And so my question and I ask you for is is what step is God asking you to take? What step is He asking you to take? He, he asked Stephen and Philip and those other five to, to make a step. but but really, what step is the Holy Spirit asking you to take? And you'll say, yes, I'll do that. I'll be a part. I'll be a part of what God's doing here. Because it is gonna take a whole body working together, exercising all the muscles that God has given us of church and spirit and service and all these different ways to truly impact our communities like he wants us to reach and impact our world the way he wants us to. So the question is this, what is the Holy Spirit calling you to do Listen to it. Respond to it. Say, yes, I'll be a part of what you want to do. Let me pray for us. So, Lord, um, I do pray that, that your spirit would speak to us. I thank you that there are all sorts of different roles and positions that people can play. I thank you, Lord, that you've equipped us and you've prepared us for what you want us to do. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us, help us to exercise those gifts that you've given us so that your word can spread, so that more people can come to know Christ, and that the kingdom of God can truly be as it is in heaven here on earth. And it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, Kyle has a um, song for us in response that's really about how the body of Christ is to to come together as one in order to do what God calls us to do. I hope that you'll um, listen and be uh, blessed by it.